the Pyramid Podcast, where three lads discuss all things English football pyramid. On today's episode, we'll have a look back at the key action from the Premier League, including Spurs' controversial win over Liverpool and Wolves' shock in the Champions, which was predicted by Loro. A look ahead to game week two of English teams' European adventures, where standout tie has to be Newcastle PSG. Uh, we'll review some of the key games across the wider EFL before previewing more midweek action coming up. And the Pyramid Pod treble is out for redemption after a Jonathan Woodgate-esque debut. I'm your host, Alex Murphy. And once again, I'm joined by Tom Lawrence and Tom Gallagher. Chaps, we'll start at Tottenham-Liverpool. Loro, a game that uh, was a great win for Spurs, but marred by a bit of controversy from an officiating point of view. Yeah, well, I'll just start on a football note because that game was a couple of minutes away from being a very, very impressive, probably one of the results of the season from Liverpool, the way that they set up against, firstly with 10 men and then with nine men against a decent Spurs side, I thought was really impressive. And the the funny thing about it was, a little bit like Newcastle as well, even when, probably not with nine, but even down to 10, they still seemed like a threat. Tottenham still sort of were there thinking, oh, we we don't want to commit too many forward because Liverpool got these. And I think even with nine men, every time there's a set piece... Van Dijk went up, the defenders went up, the big men went up, and they they were still trying to get something from the game, which I thought was really admirable. Um, and if it wasn't for the last moment of uh, madness at the end, then we might have had a, uh, a a completely different talking point. But like you say, I think the big story from that game is obviously the officiating, unfortunately, and, and VAR again. I think there's a train of thought to suggest that every single big decision was wrong. I personally don't think Curtis Jones should have been sent off. We know what happened with the the goal that wasn't. And even Diogo Yota sending off. I think the second yellow was a booking, but the first one, um, whoever he was a judge to a foul actually just tripped up and it wasn't a foul at all. So an absolute disaster um, on all fronts from the refereeing decisions. But if we start with the probably the biggest one, which is the goal, I've actually got probably a surprisingly balanced view on that because it it was bad and it was really, really bad. The only thing that they could really come out and say that would have appeased me was hands up, absolute cock up on our behalf. We got that horribly wrong. There was a miscommunication. We are so sorry. Fine. There's absolutely nothing you can do about that. And to be fair, we talk about VAR and it looking for ways in which to affect the game negatively, which it does. It tries to rule out goals and it tries to send people off. The on-field linesman gave that off. So if there wasn't VAR, if there wasn't VAR, it would have been offside anyway and Liverpool still wouldn't have got the goal. So we don't have to go down the lines of Liverpool want a replay and they should be awarded a point or anything like that. That's ridiculous. I actually think that's nipped that in the bud. And whatever they think the um, necessary punishments are for Darren England and his assistant or whoever it is that's getting the blame for this, a couple of games may be suspended or or officiating at lower levels and that's fine. Um, but I, I think the, the VAR decisions on the red cards are the bigger are the bigger annoyance for me because particularly the Curtis Jones one, we talked about this the other day, I think uh, it might have been a Chelsea player against, sent off against Villa. The tackles now are completely different. We're not talking about the tackle and the action of the move. We're talking about what's the worst freeze frame we can find and what's the worst action we can then go on to um, punish that. And it just looks like in every single move that is sent to VAR, they're looking for a split freeze frame within it to find a reason to send someone off. And that was what was annoying. And I think, you know, maybe bringing Tigo in here as well to see what you thought on it. I think we were all pretty much on the same page. That wasn't a sending off, was it? No, absolutely not. To be honest, Laura, I can't 
disagree with anything you just said there. I've um, not a lot more to add. I thought um, it was one of Spurs' worst performances of the of the season. Um, I know it's difficult to play against ten men and then against nine men because sort of your your plans and etc. go out the window a little bit. Um, and obviously Liverpool dropped deep. But I thought, especially in the first half, and I think you mentioned it, um, Liverpool looked dangerous, so dangerous on a counter-attack. And I thought Spurs looked really naive to that. They just kept on playing openly. And it was almost like they thought, well, yeah, we're, we're playing against 10 men, so we'll eventually get the goal. And, and obviously they did get the goal, but um, conceded a few chances. Um, Gakpo got the got the equaliser. Um, but the... The sort of talking points from the game will be the decisions. I'm trying to come at come at it from a sort of non-biased point of view because I'm obviously a Man United fan, so obviously I enjoyed the fact that Liverpool lost. Um, but yeah, that that Curtis Jones one to me, it just looks like in the um, sort of the video of it and not the freeze frame, it looks like he's almost tried to do a little Cruyff turn, um, misjudged it a little bit. His legs or his toes sort of bounced up above bounced up over the ball and onto Basuma's ankle. And like any freeze frame that you, you do to that and and the VAR sort of video showed the referee that that, that freeze frame straight away, um, it was clearly going to be a red card. Um, I thought it was a wrong decision. I put it out to the followers of Football Tweet with, with the freeze frame saying, what do you think of this? And they all slated me and said it was a red card. But... Obviously, Gary Neville thought it wasn't a red card as well. Um, yeah, look, and and with with the other decisions, it's just there's a little bit of incompetence at the minute. And like you say, Laura, what what can they do apart from put the hands up and and like they're basically damned if they do and damned if they don't. If they if they don't if they just go into their silo and don't say anything, then everyone's saying what's going on. It's a conspiracy. And if they come out and apologize. They get slated for apologising because they've made fourteen apologies in like since two thousand and twenty-two or something ridiculous. Um, I don't, I, I don't know how to to deal with that one to be honest. But the problem with VAR is the expectation levels that it raised amongst football fans and amongst managers and players. It, it basically said, right now, now officials don't have the right to get any decision wrong because they've got VAR, and now now. Clearly, they make mistakes week on week and just like players do, just like managers do. And it just seems to be getting picked up and picked up. But you're you're right to say that that first incident, sorry, the the Diaz goal, if AR wasn't a thing, it would have been offside anyway. And then we would have just then they would have just talked about it in the studio after saying it was a wrong decision and the linesman linesman shit. And then they would have said we need VAR. So it's like that not, nothing you can say will will please everyone. Nothing you can do, no solution you can offer will please anyone. So there's not really, a, like, I don't know where to go. I don't know where to go. Well, let me say this, that I think will please quite a few people. This is my, I've been balanced on this, and now this is my, what side of the fence I sit on when it comes to VAR. Fucking scrap the lot. It hasn't worked. It was brought in to try and eradicate errors and make the game better. What it's doing is I, I was listening to Talk Sport 2 earlier, waiting for the fourth round preliminary qualifying round on the FA Cup draw to see who Yeovil were getting. Before that, they were having a discussion on it. 
And someone made a good point. I'm not sure who it was they had on. He said, when you're supporting your football team and you go to the games or you watch it on telly, what you're doing is a lot of the time, particularly as a fan, is you're chasing the buzz. You're chasing the buzz. And whether that's your team scoring a last-minute goal and you want it again, you want it again. And now, at the highest level where we have VAR, you can't have that. Someone scores a goal, there's a ripple of applause, and then you know inevitably this system is going to come in and try and find a way to get rid of it. So what we've got now is VAR that is getting looking for ways to get rid of goals and looking for a way of sending players off, and it's making errors. So what's the fucking point of it? I If the linesman had given offside at the weekend and he was wrong, I'm more than happy for... Uh, Jurgen Klopp to blast him at the end of the game and that be it. I don't mind there being some mistakes in the game, but I do mind there being mistakes in the game where we have two officials up in a box watching it on replays like we are at home that can see what's happening with it and they're still making mistakes. Now on this occasion for the offside goal, they put their hands up and said look, we can, there's nothing we can say to even defend it. That's fine. But on these red cards, it's just so annoying. No but, one wants goals being scraped off and no one wants games being ruined because of silly red cards. So my position on the VAR is get rid of the fucking lot. And I don't care about this. The genie's too far at the bottle. That's a load of rubbish. Tried it. Nice idea. Hasn't worked. Let's go back to our beautiful game. The problem is, however, that is that not everyone agrees with you that it wasn't a red card. Like I obviously agree with you. I don't think it was a red card. I think, Murphy, you might agree with us as well. But quite a lot of people... Like, this this is the thing. These these incidents, and especially these red card incidents, they're all subjective. So, yep. so the mistakes that are being made through VAR are all subjective, apart from, obviously, the offside one that we saw on the weekend, which is just an absolute howler, which is such a big howler that it's almost... You just you write it off completely because, I guess, it's just like Murphy missing an open goal on the weekend from a yard or whatever. Sorry, Murph. Um, right. But do you know what I mean? But, like, so most of these... Yep. Most most of these incidences are subjective. So that's and so to back up your point, I agree. VAR or football would be better without without VAR, but it's it's too late for that. It is too late for that. Why they, why is that though? Why is it too late? They, why can't it, we say it, we've tried this and it hasn't worked? With football though, like everything's about money, isn't it? I bet it I bet it makes companies X million pounds a year having the technology for VAR and ultimately football at that level always comes down to financials and there will be money that is being made on all sides from having that so there's absolutely no way that it will be scrapped. Lauro just to just to think about VAR slightly differently obviously spent most of the summer watching the Ashes didn't we and you'd think like there is Snicko there which seems to be fairly kind of consistent that's has the batsman touched it has he not go up lbw the same that for me is the same as the offside a bit but you just don't see those mistakes being made but like in cricket you still have that buzz of like i don't know someone takes a wicket broad takes a wicket and then it's like oh the batsman's steve smith reviewed it straight away and then it goes upstairs and then it is going on to hit the stumps and you have that like moment of buzz so could that work for football yeah, you've just said it. The reason it doesn't take it away from cricket is because you know it's not going to be every decision. You get, what is it, three reviews per innings or something yeah, like true. that? If you went to a thing in football where a manager had to go, right, we want to review that one. And if you're wrong, you lose one. Do you know what I mean? Maybe you get two per half. I don't know, one per half, something like that. And if you get it right, you keep it. And if you get it wrong, it goes. What that would eradicate then is every single decision, whether it's a red card, whether it's an offside, whether it's a goal... All the fans in the stadium, when Leeds are in the Prem, watching a week in and week out, every time we scored a goal, I'm looking to see whose who's toe might be offside or who's pointing in the wrong direction. And 
I mean, I remember Bamford having a horrible one at Crystal Palace a few years ago where he's pointing where he wants the ball and they've drawn the T-shirt line up like a millimetre away and disallowed the goal. All of that would go. So I like the I like the cricket and even tennis do the same, don't they, with Hawkeye. You have to yeah. review it and you lose your review. And it works in those because you know it's only gonna be, it's not gonna disrupt the flow. You're only gonna have a couple of incidents throughout a game if there's a contentious decision. In football, it's every single big decision. How often do we see a goal now that's just given and there's no controversy around it at all? There's no check yeah. whatsoever. <clears throat> We watched the Burnley United game, didn't we? And Johnny Evans scored from a corner. And I remember being sat there with you thinking, like, just a goal whipped in from the corner where nothing's up with it and you can celebrate a United goal. And even that, yeah. Hodgland's then stood in the way. You know, the Garnacho one at Arsenal, I know that's gone off to be proven that it was offside from the angle that the lines are drawn. But he he's running through and scores. And you're thinking, we've just won at the Emirates. But you know that just from when that goal happened, that it looked tight and you now don't celebrate, do you? Or you don't celebrate fully because you know that you might get your bloody heart broken 30 seconds later. Tommy? See, the thing is with this technology business is this, right? So at first we had goal line technology, didn't we? And I think we can all agree the reason why that's worked is because it's not subjective, it's objective, yeah? It's either in or it isn't in. And that's the same with offside. See, I know this one on the weekend was an absolute howler, but it is technically the same with offside. You're either on or you're offside. Um, I think from next season, they'll bring in, and the Premier League decided against bringing in that semi-automated offside system, which was used at the World Cup and it was used very well. And it's basically twice as quick as officials. And that, that sort of incident that happened at Tottenham would not have happened, would it? Because it's automated. Um, yeah. so, so that that will come in next season, I assume so, or potentially even after January. Or, um, and then, so the offside issue will be sort of a non-event, if you know what I mean. We 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 will no longer be talking about it because, like like in goal 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 line technology, it's either on or it's off. That's that's objective. It's not a subjective decision. What you guys are talking about is the subjective decisions, the red cards, the. Do you know what I mean? Little bits and pieces, the, the bad tackles that they're looking for, they're looking to disallow goals or they're looking for reasons basically to intervene. Um, I think that needs to be stopped. I don't think it will be. I don't think we'll scrap that side of VAR. I think it will carry on. And I think the powers that be will just try and become more competent at using the system because I, I just, and I, I do agree with you, Laura. I do think we should get rid of it, but it's just not going to happen. But just very quickly, like you're right, the goal line technology is absolutely, it's either fact or it's it's either in or it's out. The, I, I do think it's subjective, the offside one. Here's a couple of reasons, just very, very quickly. The freeze frame in which, um, what the exact split second that the ball leaves the foot of the assister, right? Yeah. The fact that the VAR officials are the ones putting the lines on and they're judging what part of the arm is offside or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And also, the Johnny Evans one you just talked about, Merv, that was ruled out because someone was stood in front of the keeper. Well, how do we know? Well, that's still subjective. They're still deciding whether the person that stood in front of the keeper, Ollie Watkins scored one at the weekend that wasn't offside. And there was someone stood right in front of the keeper that was in an offside position. The Johnny yeah. Evans one was ruled out because someone was stood in front of the keeper and they did rule it out. So there's inconsistencies. If they do bring in that World Cup, did you just say we're getting it in the after winter or something? The automated system. I should, well, if they, they bring that in... Then it, yeah, they didn't bring it in for this 
the, the Premier League decide, or the PG MOL decided against bringing it in this season for some reason. And I'm assuming after the sort of controversies that have been happening, they'll bring it in for next season. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and hopefully that'll give us a little bit more consistency because you would have thought a computer will have its the same ideas on every single situation. But I, it sounds like it's not going to happen. But if it, if it was up to me, we would just get rid of all of it other than goal line technology, which has failed, I think, once, hasn't it? The Sheffield yeah. United Villa won a few years ago, and that's it. And apologies, Blades fans, but there we go. Yeah, I, I really hope they do be there. I think the only thing I just say on VAR as well before we move on, boys, because we speak about this to a blue in the face, is some of these decisions are massive, massive decisions. Like if that Spurs Liverpool game was decided who got top four towards the end of the season, that could be like, right, Jurgen Klopp's not got top four for a second year in a row for Liverpool. So this player now wants to leave. Let's just say Salah decides to then go to Saudi. These can be like the big, big talking uh, points. Uh. Murph, let's put this into perspective, though. Like, without VAR, these decisions will go against you and for you in equal measure. So, 100%. And you then say that is human error and that's the beautiful game, that one day a referee will give you onside one day when you were off and they will give you offside when you were on and you go, right, well, that was human error. That is part of football. It always was part of football. You win some, you lose some. This is now where people like Jurgen Klopp or whoever might feel so aggrieved because they've got technology to stop that from happening and it's still happening. So if you, if it just goes back to all of the benefits of VAR, which is slow down the game, take away those moments of pure ecstasy where you think you've done something, you haven't, was so that we would get more correct decisions. So we weren't just talking about bad officiating decisions on field. We're now doing that about on-field and off-field officiating decisions. So, yeah, I... I Something's got to change with that very soon. Um, it won't ever go away, VAR, but there doesn't seem to be too many positives of it at the minute. But having said that, Spurs win again. Big Ange's bus rolls on, Loro, so I'm sure you're very happy about that. And we spoke about if they could get through Liverpool, they had a few winnable fixtures and no Europe to contend with. And we'll come on to other results at the minute, including Man City, but a great weekend for them overall. Um, so we just touched on Ollie Watkins, boys. He scored a hat-trick at the weekend uh Villa at home versus Brighton I think a game that um I called Brighton win I think you two might have gone for Villa actually and it, it ended up being a Villa win albeit a bit more one-sided than expected 6-1 Tomo yeah it's one of those um just mad games Brighton obviously they're always scoring loads of goals or conceding loads of goals they're a really fun team to watch and just felt like one of those games where just everything went wrong for them and everything went right for Ollie Watkins. He's had a goal scoring wise. He's had a slow start to the season. He's he's got a couple of assists for the FPL team, and that's why he was still in mine um, this weekend. And obviously, I know he scored last weekend. But some of those goals, they they great. Like the the first one was just the tap in, but then the second two were like little deflections, and it was just it was just you know it was just one of those days that just everything was going well for you. And I did a little bit. Uh, obviously, they were the better, much better team. And they deserved the win. It was great, um, especially for my FBL team. Um, but the sort of XG stats was a lot closer than that, obviously. And um, Brighton dominated possession-wise. It was just, I just think it was one of those games where you just, if you're a Brighton fan or you just um, sort of quickly forget about it and chuck it in the bin and move on to Marseille um, in the week. Deserby, he mentioned something after the game, which I think he said something very similar when they lost. 5-1 to Everton last year. He basically said um, our next game, which obviously is going to be 
be against Marseille, he was like, I'm confident you'll see the real Brighton. And I'm confident, like, in, I I fully back my players, et cetera, et cetera, which I quite, I quite enjoyed. And I felt like sometimes as a player, you feel like they're in the dressing room after getting spun 6-1. They're going to be, their confidence is going to be on the floor. And then for De Zerbi to come out and just say that, it just gives you a little bit of lift. Um, so I think it was good management from him. Uh, um, a little a little thing I actually just posted on Football Tweet. Did you see Jason Steele's um, FPL team? No, he didn't have Watkins in it. He had Watkins in it and he had himself in it. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Yeah, so he had, he had himself in it. He had Watkins in it and obviously conceded three um, goals against Watkins and um, got a, he, Watkins got a couple of FPL assists as well, didn't he? But... Yeah, just one of those games. I did. I predicted a Villa win, so, um, so three points to me. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I I predicted a Villa win as well, but that was, I don't know. We sort of stumbled across a conversation last week, didn't we? Talking about smoke and mirrors, Deserby. That's a free free one loss to West Ham, a loss at home to Athens in the cup, and now beat six by Villa. No clean sheets this season, I think I'm right in saying. I'm I'm sort of caught between a rock and a hard place here because on one hand I'm thinking it's Brighton. Like we they are still Brighton are one of the smaller clubs in the Premier League, but the progress that they've made and the praise that we put on them and from what we expect from them, I'm not happy with that six one defeat, to be honest with you. There was a couple of calamitous go- I mean the the Estepina known goal was ridiculous. He looked like he was stumbling home from a nightclub or something and it just hit his hit the end of his foot and went in and like they just sort of collapsed and I don't know I I want to see a little bit more from Brighton on the on these games against your Villas and your West Hams I've said it before like the sort of all right Villa are probably quite a good side now and maybe pushing top six or seven but those games where you don't know they're definitely going to win against the top sides and the ones you definitely expect them to win against the bottom sides they need to start going to Villa Park and putting up better performances than that and there's just a couple of signs there that Deserby's maybe got a little bit of work to do before he's in contention for Real Madrid, in my opinion. And he also tinkered it and put a young lad in the midfield again, didn't he? He makes a lot of sort of Pep Roulette types uh, changes to his side. And I think he might be in danger of over tinkering a little bit. Far be it from me to advise Robert Deserby what he does with his team. But I wasn't happy with that. Even though I predicted Villa to win, I didn't expect it to be an absolute massacre. And it was. But fair play to Wally Watkins. And fair play to Villa, who I think have won 10 games in a row now. So it is a fortress. There's no shame in going to Villa Park and losing. But there is some shame in going there and getting hit for six And when you haven't kept a clean sheet all season. Yeah, and I think you're right, Lauro, in that if Deserby's going to take the credit for his pep roulette where he just brings off a 19-year-old Paraguayan who scores a brace with two overhead kicks, then when he plays an 18-year-old and a 22-year-old in midfield and gets overrun and a team goes direct against them and sort of bypasses this young midfield and they get a hammer and he's going to have to take that as well. And that's life as a uh, a Premier League manager. Yeah, can we just mention Villa's midfield quickly? Yeah, go on. You thinking Douglas Louise and Bubakar Kamara and McGinn. And then um, obviously they, they signed Tielemans in the summer on a free and he's sort of working his way into the team. And then Jacob Ramsey, who's been like super impressive over the last couple of seasons, breaking through. He has been injured at the start of the season. He obviously come on 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 Saturday, didn't he, and got a really good goal. All of a sudden, it's like their strongest part of their team. And Jacob Ramsey, for me, I know 
this is obviously a massively early shout, but there's a chance there for him to get into that England squad for the Euros if he if he can sort of have a good season with Villa because we've we spoke about England's centre mid problems or lack of depth in there and because obviously you've got Conor, Conor Gallagher in the min- at the minute, um, couple of issues there. So I think there's a chance for him to get into the team if he if he does well has another good season with Villa. Just on the England squad, a um, couple points to pick up on that. So Gareth Southgate was watching the game. I think there's always a secondary striker position behind Kane available, isn't there? And you've got your Callum Wilsons, Ivan Tony, if he comes back in January, has a good second half to the season. Uh, Eddie Nketiah has been in there. Uh, Ollie Watkins, someone who you boys think, if he, I suppose if he keeps showing out the goals, could go to the Euro. Seems like a decent character, hard worker. Yeah, he's... Um... Just a hundred percent. I was surprised he didn't get the call up earlier on in the was it um yeah, was it September, the internationals? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was surprised he didn't get called up for the first international break. The next one is after this weekend. I fully and I think the England team will get announced in a couple of days. I I'm pretty sure he'll be in it. Um he scored two hat tricks for Villa this season, which is I think the, I think they mentioned it on Match of the Day is the first Aston Villa player to score two hat tricks in a season since the 70s. Um him under Unai Emery is a problem. Yeah. And yeah. He, he, he hasn't quite got going goal scoring wise until Saturday um, in the Premier League. But yeah, you fully expect him to carry on that good form. And Murph, can I just ask you, do you have him in your FPL team still? No, I brought him out uh, before game week six for Alvarez, uh, who has blanked. And then he did score... Uh, on Saturday, but that's not really consolation when Watkins gets 23. But uh, that's that's my story as an FPL manager. I'm taking Rashford out this week, so I'm sure he'll be scoring versus Brentford at the weekend. Stay on that England theme, boys. Lauro, another one for you. We spoke about centre-backs who can partner John Stones in the summer if Maguire's not game, getting game time. Uh, lad I play football with, massive Villa fan, bangs on about Esri Concer and has for a couple years now. Um, looks like he's from over the past sort of seven years played pretty much every game of each season for Charlton for a couple of years, then a season at Brentford and now at Villa. I think he looks fairly impressive. Concert, do you give him any chance of going to the Euros? No, and the reason I don't is because Gareth Southgate doesn't like to change his centre backs too much, does he? And he like even people like Lewis Dunk and Tamore, okay, in Syria that have consistently good performances still can't get in over the likes of Harry Maguire. Ezri Konza, I don't think he might have made one or two squads, but I don't remember him ever having any kind of run or looking under Gareth Southgate. So I don't think that's a discussion even worth having. It should be because that centre-back partner, the partner of John Stones is probably one one place that should be the most up for grabs. And if you're an English centre-half that's in good form, as Ezri Konza has been for a few years now for, for Aston Villa, it should be a season where he could think to himself, I'll get myself in there. But if I was him, I wouldn't hold out any hope whatsoever. Yeah, OK. I mean, that's, that's a valid point. I think it'd be interesting. I think with Tyrone Mings injured, there's a spot up for grabs there, even if Maguire um, does go and maybe uh, another one. So I'd be really, really interested to see if uh, if Compsa makes the squad that's upcoming. There's a international break the next two weeks. Am I right in saying, Tomo? Yeah, it's after this weekend, yeah. Yeah, we'll all look forward to that. I don't think Watkins is quite a shoe in as you boys make out either. I think he needs to do it, do it more consistently. At the end of last season, he had a couple of games where he was unplayable. 
And like he scored two hat tricks this year, but one of them I think one was against Hibs. They're not both in the Premier League. Him and Callum Wilson have both got four goals this season, but Callum Wilson's done it in about half the time. And yeah. Callum Wilson is the one that's been the second striker recently. So I'm not sure he's done enough to get him out of the squad yet. And you're not going to take three number. How hopefully that that position is completely redundant. We don't need to use them. But we're not going to take three of them, are we? We're going to take Harry Kane and one other, I would imagine. Um, and then a lot of sort of attacking midfielders slash wide players. And I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not too sure Ollie Watkins has done enough to get rid of Callum Wilson just yet. So I wouldn't be counting my chickens he's in the squad either, to be honest with you. No, I, I think that he's just got a live chance. But you might be right, as you say, Kane's an absolute shoe-in. Maybe your second striker is someone who you know can come off the bench and grab a goal, which Wilson's doing consistently. So mm. yeah, probably, probably right there. Um, guys, we will move on from from that game and mighty impressive um, victory for Villa it was too, but move on to uh, Wolves versus Man City. And I think Tomo probably got a start with uh, giving a shout out for Loro. I think both of us kind of scoffed and laughed at his uh, prediction that Wolves would win it. Um, but that turned out to, to be the case. So I think kudos to Loro for that shout uh, and I'll bring him in to just have a, a bit of a say about Wolves' display in the overall game. Yeah, well, firstly, look, Manchester City rightfully should, rightfully so should be favourites for every single game in the Premier League season and probably maybe maybe Arsenal away, but even that they're probably still favourites for. So you've got to try and take an educated guess at when they're going to slip up. And I think that when I listened back to the pod, I was actually quite impressed with myself for showing my workings out. And I think that you take Rodri at that midfield, bearing in mind that Kevin De Bruyne is out as well, and all of a sudden you're starting with Nunes, a new sign-in, and Kovacic, a new sign-in, and the two that you've got off the bench are Calvin Phillips and Bob. That's a little bit of a problem for them, I think. I don't think there's anyone in there. It's a far cry from KDB, Gundogan and Rodri, and that was one of my things at the start of the season where I didn't actually think they'd get off to anywhere near as good a start as they did, because taking out Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne getting injured and bringing in Nunes or bringing in Kovacic, I think it's quite a big um, downgrade. But I also said that Wolves would do a win because they're playing really well. And one of the players that is playing extremely well is Neto. And like someone said the other day on Twitter, um, can't believe he's still at Wolves. The only explanation for him still being at Wolves are his injury problems, aren't they? But every time you watch him, he's just absolutely electric and what a player he is if you could guarantee he was fit all the time he'd probably be at City or an Arsenal or Real Madrid or someone like that so um, I'll I'll let you boys uh, talk about the game because I haven't got too much to add to my prediction that was Wolves have been playing well and a dual win and Man City lost in the week and they're going to miss Rodri and I think that's how it transpired that's the most smug <laughs> of his entire life, but yeah, fair play to you, Lauro. Um, it's one of those games when it? it went it went exactly how you expected it to go. City completely dominated it, and Kovacic actually played that that Rodri role. And if you watch the match of the day highlights; he was at fault for quite a few. Well, he's at fault for the Neto um, own goal incident, and he was at fault for quite a lot of the the Wolves counter attacks that led to their. Um, sort of attacking play and I think eventually to their second goal as well. Um, I didn't see this before the game, but Pep Guardiola referred to Huang um, as the Korean guy in his press conference. Yeah. Um, and uh, and Wolves tweeted out basically a gif of him like celebrating the goal 
um, like with a sort of um, speech marks, the Korean guy. Um, so it was, it was, it, it felt like one of those those games that was just meant to be disappointing. Another disappointing day for Haaland. He's he's a strange one for me. I, I actually don't think he. I know he scored loads of goals, but I actually don't think he's had a good start to the season. Um, but he's. Tomo, sorry, I'll come back to you. Sorry to cut across here, but this is um this is like modern day Twitter where people don't have like their own picture as their display picture. It's like a photo of an old player or something like that. There were City accounts that were tweeting like, when are we going to have a conversation about Haaland? He's only scored one non-penalty goal that's decided a game in 2023. And you're like, for God's sake, how are we going for Haaland now? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, like, but... Um. Oh, yeah, I, I hate that non-penalty debate. By the way, I hate yeah. it when people go, "Oh, he's he's not scored that many non-penalty goals," and it's like, "Well, what's he supposed to do? Miss the penalties?" Yeah, they're quite you hard chances as well, aren't they? Now, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not sort of sitting here and questioning Haaland. I'm just saying, even though he's scored loads of goals this season, I don't think he's hit the heights of last season yet, performance-wise. Obviously, he scores all the time, and I would never suggest thinking about dropping him or resting him. Um, it's just not quite worked out for, for him at the minute, even though, at the end of the day, City have played seven, won six, lost one. So it's not the end of the world. These things can happen, as Laurie predicted. Just move on quickly. I'm sure, and I think they've they've got Leipzig in the Champions League this week, which will be a tough game. Leipzig are on, in good form. They've got that um, that Xavi Simmons who looks like a real player. Um, so I'm interested to see what he'll do against City. But um, I think they'll be like, come on, they'll be fine. They're still favourites for the league. It makes the league more interesting. But yeah, um, good result for Wolves and well done, Loro. Kudos. Yeah, and to be honest with you, mate, off the back of what you've just said, I'm quite looking forward to seeing what happens or what it looks like when Haaland does get going. Because, I mean, eight goals in seven games on top of the league um, is quite a good return for, for not having started very well. But what I was going to say is this is brilliant, right? This is brilliant for the Premier League because we talk about it being in danger of um, becoming a farmer's league if Man City just win all the time. They've lost one game. They won every game. Up until now, they've lost one game and all of a sudden you've got five teams, Tottenham, Arsenal, Liverpool, Villa and Brighton, all within one win of top, top spot. Yeah. So you've got Tottenham and Arsenal on 17 points, Liverpool on 16, Villa and Brighton on 15, Man City are at the summit on 18. How good is that? If they slip up again, they ain't going to be top anymore. So maybe it ain't such a farmer's league and maybe we need to give more credit to the the chasing bunch, particularly Tottenham and Arsenal this season. Um, and if one of them had won the North London derby... They'd be top now. No, so you can't oh, slip up in this league. And also, what game is it on Sunday? Man City versus Arsenal. Yeah. Where is it, that one? Oh, I don't we'll talk about it on Thursday, Arsenal. won't we? But... Yeah, we'll talk about it on yeah. Thursday. But it is, a, it is at Arsenal and it's no Rodri. And Saka's back in full training because I think he came off injured again, didn't he? Or limped off. And um, yeah, yeah they, they've got this Leipzig game, as Tomo said. And then they've got Arsenal away and then I think they've got Brighton who obviously do show up against big sides and then uh, a nice easy winnable game at Old Trafford in the Manchester derby um, but um, yeah I'm, I mean I'm sure we'll probably reflect at the end of October and be like they didn't lose slip up after Wolves but um, it, it just makes football more exciting when these things are happening done it in City aren't winning every week so we just touched on Old Trafford uh, being a nice comfortable place to 
get a result. Um, I mean, we spoke about this, didn't we, on the last pod? We said United went and beat Crystal Palace uh, second string, albeit United second string as well, 3-0. How would the first string get against it? I think Lauro said about being positive about United, two wins, two clean sheets. And I, I thought to himself, yeah, do you know what? You're right. I said about Rashford coming out the side and he said, let's not get into that. He doesn't need to open up that can of worms about him not playing. But here I am coming off the field after Brett Pittman scored a hat-trick and we've lost 6-2, uh, checking me phone. And Man United have lost 1-0 to Palace. Tomo? Uh, yeah, we did lose 1-0 to Palace and it was completely... Um... Not a surprise. We've not been good this season. We had a good game in the week in the Carabao Cup and um, we showered praise on them, but we did caveat that with the fact that we were basically playing against Palace's second string. And it just feels like it's going to be a very long season. Um, football's really, the reality of football sometimes is quite simple. And it's just, if you've got a lot of your first team players out injured, and a lot of your best players out injured, it's hard to win games and it's hard to look really fluent and um, have a proper identity because because at the end of the day, we're playing Sofyan Amrabat left back. He's a centre midfielder. It's not like, it doesn't, it makes no sense that he plays left back to me. He's a right footed centre midfielder. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, and he, he had a game to forget. Um, like we, we basically had a, a really... Difficult day. Um, it's our worst start to a top flight season in 34 years. Uh, I thought, and this is probably a little bit of Gary Neville in me, but I thought Anana should have saved um, Anderson's volley. I know it was a good volley, but I actually thought he should have saved it. It was quite close to him. Uh, and it's just not, and this is the thing, this is the difference between signing a Hoyland a 20-year-old striker who needs time and needs patience and needs sort of space to develop in the Premier League and to develop into a world-class player. And at United, he just won't get that. And he he's not going to get that because we're relying on him now. And he's just not quite ready for that yet, I don't think, um, albeit he has had a bright start. Um, and Rashford, once again, he looks, he looks short of confidence and... He's one of those players who just seems to go like the like the highs are really high, but the lows are really low, and it's like his confidence just swings from like pillar to post, and I, you just don't know what you're going to get with him. Um, what more can I say about United? Let's just move on. Come on, <laughs> alright. Um, I'm just. I mean, I'm just looking at the stats, and I mean the the actual stats that have always been looked at, and. 77% possession for Man United, 19 shots, 10 corners, but only four shots on target. So maybe you're right to pinpoint sort of Rashford and, and Hoysland's lack of potency or maybe lack of form at the moment in front of goal as to why you couldn't get a result at home to Crystal Palace on the weekend. But I mean, those stats, it normally, if you have those stats 10 weeks in a row, you'll probably win seven or eight of them. So... Maybe not quite all doom and gloom, but I did say that we should be positive when they win and you'll have plenty of chances to be negative. And uh, this is one of your chances to be negative. So, Tigal's filled his boots. Have you got much more to add to that, Ma? Just that we've got a Champions League tie tomorrow against Galatasaray. And I said on the last pod, and I completely understand what you chaps were saying about you don't just drop Marcus Rashford. He doesn't need to do that. Um, 
and he brought Bruno back in, which he was always going to do. He brought Hoyland back in, which he was always going to do. But this Hannibal Garnacho, that sort of thing, I, I really wouldn't be surprised if he goes back to that tomorrow night and puts Rashford on the bench. He's come out as well today, Ten Hag, and said Rashford's low on confidence, but he needs to work hard to, to find that, um, rediscover that form. And I just think that's kind of almost his like initial sort of dig at Marcus Rashford. Um, he's obviously way, way past that with Sancho at the point where he's publicly calling him out for not training hard enough. But it's almost like that's that first layer of it, of it, isn't it? It's almost a bit of a call to, you need to get yourself out of this rut now. You need to work hard and get through it. Um, and I just wonder if he will maybe change the side up against Galatasaray at home. Um, and, and maybe then if we win that, does he then go, well, you know what? We stuck with this and it won midweek again, like we did against Palace in the Cup. Why don't we go for it at Brentford at home in the Premier League? What what else can happen? We lose every game at home now. What difference can it make by staying with these youngsters and in Garnacho and Hannibal? So um not going to be too negative about it. As you say, Loro's stats are on their side, but uh, a really bad day for United. But and that's I mean, three seven games, three wins, nine points from a possible twenty-one and what sort of 14, 15 points off the pace now. Well, and also seven goals in seven games. Yeah. It's yeah, not, it's just um, we are just blunt in attack. We're just blunt in attack. You've got Pelistri, who at the start of the season people thought he looked um a bit lively every time he come off the bench. So you thought, okay, he could he could potentially get a few chances. He's had a few chances, and he just looks like he, it's just not there. Um, he doesn't even look dangerous, really, does he? Just and um. If there's an over-reliance on Rashford. If if Rashford's not scoring and playing well, we are terrible going forward. Like, that's the reality. Yeah. That's the reality of Manchester United at the minute. And I think Rashford will be allowed to play through this because we have no other options. Well, Garnacho is a live option. He is a left winger who is lauded across the world as a upcoming talent who's just signed a new long-term deal we spoke last week on the pod so we won't go over it again that players don't seem to play out of position if Rashford's not playing through his form issue would it not be a bit of a kick up the arse to be like right you're on the bench in the Champs League at home to Galatasaray for Garnacho, and then it gets through to the Prem game where Rashford suddenly thinks oh I'll be back in for that and he's just like no, we're going for Garnacho again because he played well in the week. I'm all, you know, if Garnacho didn't light it up, I know we've got Rashford there and, you know, he's he did score his goals last year, but is that not the next level of, right, well, we're not just going to try and play you through it. We'll try and give you a bit of a kick up the ass to get some form by playing someone else who plays your position. Yeah, to be honest, mate, at the end of the day, we're losing anyway, aren't we? So yeah. what's, what's he got to lose? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, his job. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and just on that, obviously doing okay in the Carabao Cup, albeit one game. Um, but Champs League, we've obviously lost Galatasaray. Couple of stats about that game. The manager of that is the manager who was uh, in charge of. Do you remember when we lost to Istanbul, where United conceded that goal? Where was it? Demba Bar just ran through from a corner by himself from the halfway line. Uh, Zaha scored for Galatasaray at the weekend. Um, who has always loved to go against United since we sold him. So, yeah, I'm not really that confident about tomorrow night either, to be honest with you. But we'll leave Man United there because I'm sure we'll be back on Thursday talking about uh, talking about them again. Um, other results, boys. Arsenal uh, won away at Bournemouth, absolutely dominant. 
um, 4-0 victory there. And Kai Havertz got off the off the mark. So I think he got to 007, didn't he? But didn't make it to 008 with his goal. Um, Luton won very impressively. And I need to apologise to them because I think we did a five-second kind of cover of their Everton game. And we said that Everton would, or I certainly said Everton would, would wipe the floor with them and Luton are going down without a victory all season. But um, great win there for, for Rob Edwards and Luton. Newcastle won, albeit have got some injuries, so their good form continued. But um, rather than talk about the Prem game, Tomo, just want to quickly talk about the Champs League game they've got coming up against PSG on Wednesday and what your thoughts are on that. I think Newcastle win. I just, I can't wait to watch that. And I can't wait to listen to how loud it's going to be in the St. James's Park. And I just think PSG have actually started, I think they're not even in the top four in League One. They're fifth. Yeah. And um, albeit they've had a couple of good wins and they look a little bit more like a team than they did last season when you've got your Messi's and Neymar's and like Verratti's. I think they've 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 got rid of like the big name individuals and brought in some sort of team players. But yeah, I'll just, I'll just fancy Newcastle for that one. And it'll be a great, great night for everyone um, involved. What I was going to say actually was the I think... Um, a sort of a thread about Newcastle's uptick in form has actually coincided with them dropping Tonali. And Bruno Guimaraes, is, is his form has got better since Tonali's left or, or sort of been dropped. And I just wonder whether those two can coexist and, and bring the best out of each other. Um, but it's, it's, it's good that Eddie Howe's got those options. Basically, Longstaff has replaced um, Tonali in the team. And obviously they've won three in a row. They've won three in a row now in the Premier League. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how that develops. But it, it's also good for Tonali, I guess, to sort of come out of the limelight a little bit and ease his way into Premier League um, and ease his way into sort of the northeast. Because I don't think he started. I know he got the goal in the, on the first day of the season, but of um, but I don't think he started so well. And and yeah, just a sort of a, a thing I picked up on. Is actually yeah they they've started playing better and and their results have started getting better since he's not started for them. That feels a little bit like um sort of Mason Mount coming in, doesn't it, and sitting next to Casemiro and it being like, can those two coexist? But can you drop someone who you've signed for sixty mil to be your new midfielder? If Eddie Howe's making that decision to bring Longstaff in, who was at the club before and dropped Tonali, that's uh been signed for money and maybe they he's got a bit more um depth in that position where he can do that and give Tonali almost a season to embed like Pep does with players sometimes that's obviously a, a nice position to be in but that feels fairly similar to United albeit United don't seem to have those those options um Lauro the Champions League game obviously PSG just said a, a fifth there Tomo fancies Newcastle what's your thoughts on that yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at the league uh, table and it's off its head. I mean, Leon are bottom, Marseille are 12, and PSG are fifth. And I'm not going to um, lie to everyone and say I'm a, a huge French football enthusiast, but I've also just looked at the odds and Newcastle are favourites. And we've spoken about what a good place St James's Park can be to host football. And this will be the biggest game that they've had there in a long, long time. Oh, you know, I don't, I don't really see past Newcastle winning that game, and I think it's a good point about Tonali. When you bring someone in like that, Newcastle's midfield was very good last year, and it will take time to 
um, culture, the sort of equilibrium of that midfield into having Tonali in and making it work. But Longstaff was very, very good last season and they normally perform better when he was in the team. So he's just not he's not just like a walkover that you just come in and get rid of. If he if he plays, he normally plays quite well. So Tonali's going to have work to do, but they're going to need all the options, aren't they? Because they've already got a couple of injuries. And at some point, some it's nice to be able to rotate players and pick out of all of them. But at some point, having squad depth is about still having quality when you've got injuries and you don't have a choice. And if Tonali's injured, Longstaff's ready or the other way around. So good options for Eddie Howe. And uh, we've spoken about before, he's very good at managing that and I'm sure he'll continue to do so. But I'm looking forward to watching that game as well. And I expect Newcastle to win it, to be honest with you. Good stuff. Well, yeah, good luck to, to them. That is a huge game. And as you say, St. James Park be rocking. Um, boys, Super Sunday, or not much of a Super Sunday, Forest versus Brentford um, ended in a one-all draw. And I don't want to be speaking too much more about VAR, but Lauro, I think you might have sent through in the WhatsApp a video of the uh, penalty incident for Visser. I mean, I'm trying to work out what the referees have done there. The only thing I can think is Visser gets straight back up to try and get to the ball as if it's going to be a tap in. And I wonder if that swayed their decision. And if he'd have put it, just stayed down and put his arms up, VAR would have given it. But that looked a shocker to me as well. That's the worst one of the weekend. I don't, there isn't, why is there no PGMOL explanation on that one? They should be coming out and holding their hands up again saying, please don't fire me. I've made an absolute howler and let everyone down. <laughs> I've let foot. I've let my family down. I've let football fans down. I've let everyone down. I've let the history of our beautiful game down by not giving that what because Rissa was honest and got back up to his feet because he wanted to get to the ball and still thought there could be a chance. It was nice to see that from him. But honestly, I've not seen. Has there been an expert? Has there been a counter argument to why that wasn't given? I don't get it at all. Tigo, you look like poised to say something. Change my mind. No, no one watched it because they're all watching the Ryder Cup. That's why it's not. <laughs> that's why no one caused like a big fuss over it. That's basically it. Well, I watched it, and let me tell you, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was spitting feathers at the end of the game. <laughs> he could not believe that there wasn't a penalty given. And not, honestly, I want someone to come out and say, "Talk about Liverpool asking for the audio now for the offside one," even though they put their hands up and said that, that, that's just going under the radar. Whoever was VAR there, even the ref, but whoever was VAR there needs to come out and say, this is why this isn't a penalty. And I'll be shocked if he can do that. Uh, honestly, I don't know what to say on that one. And because it's not a massive talking point, it'll just go under the radar. But that was the worst one of the weekend, in my opinion. Clear penalty. Stonewall. Tomo, any, anything to say on that to any counter-argument? No, absolutely not. It was a penalty. But... What can you do? You can talk about these decisions until they're blue in the until we're blue in the face, but yeah, do you know what it I mean? wasn't even contentious. That's what I mean. I don't get that. I haven't. You said you put the Curtis Jones one on Twitter, the freeze frame, and loads of people came back and said it was a red card. Fair enough. If you put that one up, I, I want to see. I something did. Come... I put I put it up on Twitter last night, and everyone slated me for even saying, "Is that a debate?" I I said, "Debate. Is it a penalty or not a penalty?" And everyone was like, "Well, there's no debate. Of course, it's a penalty." So, yeah, I, I, I don't. I'm. I am absolutely Richard Keys. Yeah, beached her. Yeah, well, for for Lags there, boys, a, a a mad decision uh, in a mad weekend, and then uh, finally West Ham won two nil against Sheffield United. Um, it wasn't quite the one nil that um Tomo said Sheffield United would be buoyed with. 
uh, and be a massive confidence boost. They did ship a second, but uh, are they are they going to be bringing a new manager in soon? Because that's starting to look pretty dire for them now. Um, and Paul Heckenbottom, but I've not seen anything so far that is jobs at risk or anything. But something's got to give there. Uh, and then tonight's action is uh, West London derby, Fulham versus Chelsea. I think we all said nil-nil on the last pod. So unless anyone has got any changes to that, then I think we will stick with that and move on to the championship. So boys, championship. Uh, Lauro, going to start with Southampton Leeds. Again, another prediction that you made that you really didn't like that game for Leeds and turned out to be the case. Southampton 3 uh leads one just one thing i want to say on the var is i watched the highlights and i remember looking at the first goal and thinking if there was var adam armstrong looked offside to me looked like he was ahead of the line before he went and chipped it in and you know they're the sort of decisions that might then change a game in the championship but would you have var in the championship to stop that no definitely not and southampton deserved to win the game um adam armstrong was very good leads weren't at it it was probably the first time this season I've been disappointed all things considered with how we played and the sort of the way we um went about the game they're just I'm not going to start talking about heart and desire but sometimes just off it and that can happen in the championship and you can't do it against teams like Southampton and I did say last week we've got a habit of meeting teams that seemingly aren't doing very well but have quality players and as soon as they play against Leeds they express themselves and Adam Armstrong scores within two minutes. But Southampton absolutely deserved to win the game. Leeds deserved to lose it. Daniel Farkas come under a little bit of criticism for playing this, um, not bringing Joe Rodon back in. He was suspended for the game before. But I don't blame him for that. If you beat Watford 3-0 and play well, I don't think you should probably change it. But we've got QPR Wednesday night and I'm sure Joe Rodon will come into the centre of defence. Of and it'll be interesting to see if he leaves out Liam Cooper or, or Pascal Strauch. Um, and we'll probably get a, a little bit of an insight there into who is favoured partnership is but uh yeah and that was probably the better prediction because I said exactly what would happen and it did and it was very disappointing but um that's the championship for you and we got beat by a, a Southampton side that were better than us on the day yeah a bit of respite for uh Russell Russell Martin and uh that Southampton side as you say Leeds host QPR um tomorrow and then Southampton uh, go to Stoke, who did have a, a good result themselves, but they'll be looking to get back-to-back -back wins there. Uh, a result that absolutely shocked me until I went and checked the the sides out were was Preston nil, West Brom four. Thought Preston would continue their, I think, unbeaten run uh, at Deepdale, but was an absolute battering by West Brom. But I went and looked at West Brom's side, and I couldn't believe some of the kind of strength and good quality of players they had in there. Um, they're up to eighth now, but a, a massive result for, for them. And they've got Sheffield Wednesday at home midweek. And they'll if they go and win that, they'll probably be into the playoffs. But um, I hadn't really given West Brom as much credit as their, their side deserved, really. Um, Can I just say, the, like, no, no one's left West Brom in about 10 years, I don't think. They've yeah. got the exact same team they had when they got relegated from the Premier League in like 2012. Matt Phillips started on the wing. I mean, how long has he been there? Dean Garner, he was there last time they got promoted um, when Bielsa was in the championship. You know, that Kyle Bartley's still there. They just seem to have the same team year in, year out. And Carlos Corberan, who is a manager that sort of built up a good reputation for himself, I think this season is just starting to come, at, not under pressure, but a couple of question marks. When's it going to get going, Carlos? Maybe this will be the catalyst for them. But that's a very good result. 
Um, and I do feel sorry for Tigo, who predicted Preston to win at the weekend, hadn't lost a game all season, and then shipped four home at the Fortress that is Deepdale. So, uh, yeah, commiserations, but a good win for uh, Cole Brown and West Brom. Yeah, I was just about to address the elephant in the room, and that was my <laughs> pick for the the podcast treble. Um, I was I was so confident that they'd go and win, um, but this is football. This is football. This is football heritage. <laughs> yeah, no, none of us can uh, cover ourselves in too much glory with our pyramid pod prediction. So we'll uh, we'll be back later in the pod for redemption on that. Uh, Preston. So obviously they'll be looking to bounce back midweek. Uh, probably got the toughest game of the season as they go away to Leicester. Uh, Leicester went and won four one. Uh, away at Blackburn. Tomo, I saw you uploaded the Dewsbury Hall goal, who looks a cut above in the championship. But Jamie Vardy scored again. He seems to be finding a bit of form. And I think Ineacho scored as well. So they've still got some serious customers at at that level. And if they can uh, beat Preston, then they'd have made a a, a really, really solid start to life in the championship. A really solid start? Well, an amazing start. They'd be top of the league. (laughs) Um, Yeah, nine wins from 10 games. Yeah. Bad. Seriously solid. Um, uh, Watford 2, Middlesbrough 3. So great result for Michael Carrick's men. I think they they got a a victory last time out and have followed it up with back-to-back. They've got Cardiff at home um, midweek, but Cardiff are absolutely flying as well. But hopefully Michael Carrick can uh, continue that run of form and start to surge back up through the table. Uh, Friday night football saw Sheffield Wednesday v Sunderland. Sunderland went and won three 0 And Tomo, uh, Jack Clark impressed. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, so T Gow's EFL corner um, comes to you courtesy of Jack Clark this week. He scored two against Wednesday. Um, I watched the highlights, and he just reminded me of sort of early days Jack Grealish um, for Villa, um, and he looks like a real player. And Laura, obviously, I know. You know a lot about him because he's a former Leeds player. Burst onto the scenes, didn't he? When he was he seventeen or sixteen or seventeen, and he started playing in your first team. Um, then he got his move to Spurs and kind of faded away a little bit. Didn't didn't do anything there, and he, he he's had some sort of so so loan since then. I think he went on loan to Sunderland the year before last, and then Sunderland signed them signed him for around eight million last summer. Uh, he had a good season last year in the championship. He got nine goals and made 12 assists, um, which sort of perked the interest of Premier League clubs. He actually nearly joins Burnley this summer, but Sunderland basically said, no way is he going. I think Burnley made a £15 million bid and he, it was rejected, yeah. So great decision for them because he looks like he is sort of up there with probably one of the best players in the championship. He's... Got seven goals in 10 games this season, a goal every 117 minutes. Um, he scored three penalties, which the Twitter non-penalty brigades will be out in in, in full force slating me for that. But actually, for, the, for three of those penalties, he won two of them. So heavily involved in the build-up as well. Um, Mo, Mo, Mowbray described him on the weekend as unplayable. Um, and yeah, he just... He looks like a cut above, basically, and they'll find it very difficult to keep him beyond January, I believe, because he he just looks levels above that league at the minute. Yeah, great win for for Sunderland, um, and they're up into fourth place now, and they host Watford, uh, who obviously lost at home to Middlesbrough at the weekend. So they'll be looking to continue that good run of form and close the gap on the top three. 
Uh, and then Ipswich, uh, who in second place drew one all with Huddersfield. Um, and they they have Hull at home, who are in fifth midweek. So they'll be looking to bounce back there. But so will Hull, uh, who drew one all with Plymouth, I believe. So some really good midweek action for the championship there. And we'll, uh, we'll review the, the best of it on Thursday. Boys, we move on to League One and just to run through some of the kind of key results from there. So Portsmouth, uh, who were first won 2-1 away at Wigan after going 1-0 down. Uh, good comeback for them and they stay top and their excellent start continues. Uh, Loro, second place, Oxford won 3-1 away at Stevenage, who were in third. So that was a pretty big game at the top of the table. But Oxford just seemed to be going from strength to strength and a side that you'd uh, mentioned that you'd like before. Yeah, I think you come to me on Oxford every week and I say the same things. But yeah, very good win. Um, I said last week, I think League One table shaping up probably a little bit like what it will look like at the end of the season. That A lot of the big teams that you expect to be up there are creeping up there um, and Oxford are one of them. So nothing more to add. Another good win. I think the biggest thing about that is it was at Stevenage, who are also very good and very difficult to beat under Steve Evans. And um, they've come out the better. So that's a very good sign for them. But it's... Still early days, but Oxford, BBC Sport is telling me I've got a game in hand to go top as well. So if they win that, they're flying, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the top three. Uh, in fourth place, Bolton, they went and won 1-0 away at Port Vale. So Dion Charles scored again for them. Um, Bagsman at that level and seems to be scoring loads of goals. Uh, Lincoln 2, Cheltenham 0. Now, not a top of the table clash, but another loss for Cheltenham and another game without a goal. Um, they've got a bottom of the table clash uh, midweek where they'll be looking to to get off the mark there. But that's against Fleetwood, who we spoke about last week, who got Lee Johnson in charge. Uh, and they got off the mark. They got their first win of the season by beating Leighton Orient 1-0. So um, they'll be travelling to 24th place Cheltenham, uh, looking to go back to back there. Some of the other fixtures within League One midweek. So spoke about fourth place Bolton. They host third place Stevenage. So to, to get back to winning ways, but Bolton looking strong. Uh, Portsmouth in first place, they got ninth place Wickham. Second place Oxford go to Shrewsbury uh, in 18th. And then bottom of the table, Cheltenham, who are yet to score, host 23rd place Fleetwood, which is an absolute basement game. But uh, yeah, Fleetwood be looking to go back to back and Cheltenham will just look to be getting their first goal of the season. Move on to League Two, boys. Uh, Murph, uh, Murph, yeah, go Murph. on, Tomo. Can I just quickly do our weekly mention of Derby? Yeah, please do. Um, so I don't know if you boys saw this in the highlights, and it's a little bit of a sombre one, this one. But um, they drew 0-0 to Cambridge, but in the 31st minute, the um, play came to a halt for a minute's applause because um, Derby's goalkeeper, Josh Vickers, he's 27 years old, and his wife, Laura, sadly passed away from cancer just three months after they got married. And... I don't really I don't really know what to say on this matter apart from I just wanted to bring it up because we always argue about these silly VAR decisions and like all of these little things that don't in the grand scheme of things don't matter and I just it just put things in perspective for me but yeah I just wanted to bring that up because it's just sad really it's just no, a it's, sad a, thing. it's a good point Tomo as well because we when we're talking about these people who are dropping bad displays or doing x y and z they're just young lads aren't they all younger than us now like playing footy and you've got stuff like that happening as well so yeah I actually think in the highlights uh Paul Warren said that you know result didn't matter uh puts everything into perspective and uh yeah it does but um yes yeah, horrible 
horrible for him, but nice mention. Yeah, nice mention, Tegel. And just just move on a little bit in League One there before we go on to League Two. Did either of you see Joey Barton come out and absolutely blast his player in the pre post match interview? Did did they lose to Peterborough or something? And then he came out in a BBC interview. Yeah, yeah, he lost. They lost to Peterborough, and his whole interview after the game was slating one player, Luke Thomas, I think his name is, a winger, and he said that. With one minute left of half time, he said he was feeling his hamstring or something like that. And then he blamed him for a goal that went in just afterwards or, so, or something, I think. And he absolutely blasted him. And you only have to look at the comments to, from all the Bristol Rovers fans sort of saying, get out of our club and this sort of thing to see whose side they were on. But I just thought I'd bring that up as well, because obviously a um, colourful character in the past, Jerry Barton, and it still seems as though he's pulling no punches um, in charge of Bristol Rovers in the League One. But yeah, their winger Luke Thomas, I think, it didn't even look like he was at fault for a goal. It just looked like he, you know, normally what you'd expect to see from a winger chasing back a opposition when you're going towards goal. And it didn't look really look like his fault, but Jerry Barton decided that it was. And the, uh, yeah, he soon got dragged four minutes after half time. But yeah, it led to an absolute explosion, explosive ramp from Jerry Barton after the game. And uh, yeah, he certainly hasn't won any more fans from that, Jerry Barton, judging by the comments. But if you haven't seen it, take a look at it after this because it was, um, yeah, it was. Quite shocking, actually. That's, not, that's yeah. not like Joey, is it? No, I was going to say <laughs> normally, normally a straight shooter. Uh, not like Joey that, but yeah, I'll have a look at that. Uh, boys, we'll move on to League Two uh, briefly. So, I mean, some of the games in this league: Colchester five, Notts County four. Notts County were top of the table. I, I think most people would have had them to to beat Colchester in their acca. Um, Colchester go and score five. Notts County score four away from home and leave with nothing. The only positive for them is McCauley Langstaff, who obviously I think he scored 40 plus goals last season, uh, got a brace brace for them. But what a result for Colchester. And that lead two is just on spice, really. Murph, Murph, can I ask can I ask you boys a question? Go on. Okay, so we obviously always talk about Wrexham, but this week I'm gonna mention them because they got they had another mad game. Um it was three all. They, yeah. had a, they had a player sent off after about 30 minutes. And what the question I wanted to ask you boys was, um, which former Marseille striker scored a 95th minute equaliser for Wrexham? Fletcher. Stephen Fletcher. As I live and breathe, 36 years old, I had no idea he was even at Wrexham. No. <laughs> and also, did you boys see um, Mullins' first goal? Yeah. Overhead yeah, kick. Absolute worldie. And that's yeah. the first goal of the season. It's going to be first of many. Well, he scored two, didn't he, on the weekend? Um, but yeah, that now he's back fit and firing. They'll they'll obviously go on a run again. But yeah, I just wanted to ask you boys about Fletcher, Matt. I didn't even I didn't even knew he still played. They're good though, aren't they? Notts County and Wrexham. Every week we're talking about them, like on the wrong end of being beat five or three all or five four or four three. Like they just seem to be teams that just want to outscore the opponents. They're brilliant for the game and brilliant for League Two. And Notts County are top and Wrexham are just outside the playoffs. They're probably going to both be right at there come the end of the season. So, yeah, it's nice to see a bit of uh, bit of character down there in League Two. And, and yeah. here's, a, here's another one for you as well, because I just checked my notes about that game. Go on. Um, so, <laughs> which former West Brom player conceded the penalty for Wrexham? James McQueen. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a clue he played for Wrexham either. <laughs> just... Why would you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, are you, is, he, is he not on the documentary Fletcher or 
Uh, Fletcher only signed a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that the documentary is about last season. Oh, okay, cool. We'll be on series three, so you can uh, swat up them when those two are on it. As a couple yeah. of characters for you, Steve Fletcher and James McLean. Um, but yeah, Mullen Brace, uh, as you said, Tomo Langstaff Brace at Notts County, two absolute bagsmen in the National League, um, starting to make waves in League Two as well. And as you say, Mullen back in and got his season off to a, a start now. So hopefully um, the first and second of many there. Uh, big game in League Two, finished one all between Gillingham and Mansfield, which I think was second versus third. Uh, Crawley, who were up there as well, beat Sutton 3-0. But there were also wins for Swindon, uh, AFC Wimbledon and Stockport. And I will just make a special mention for Stockport. Uh, Louis Barry, who was the star of, I think, episode 15 uh, of, of this pod, former Galactico at Barcelona, uh, scored again for Stockport and that's now seven games in a row and I think a player that uh, Tomo highlighted is continuing to do the business so yeah shout out to Louis yeah Bradford lost 3-1 at home to Walsall as well I mean where does Mark Hugh I mean he must be coming under some sort of pressure soon because I think this is like his third season at the club they're still in league two they're getting beat at home by Walsall they're 14th in the league he's obviously sort of taken a little bit of a um a lower job to what you'd usually think from him, but maybe this is a this is quite a good example of why you don't normally see this kind of thing. Because if he gets let go at Bradford, there's not really any way back for him, is there? You wouldn't have but, thought. But I think that's a good example of how lower league clubs can't afford to sack their manager. And obviously, Mark Hughes will probably be on a good whack, even if it's not your Premier League level wages. And he probably signed a free. I don't know, so this is all speculation. But he probably signed a three year deal, didn't he? And they probably at various points of this mediocre sort of stint in charge of Bradford, they probably wanted to to make the change. But a club like Bradford just can't afford to, to sort of carry on paying two managers, can they? Yeah, it's quite an interesting experiment, I think, because it's quite, it's quite unprecedented. You don't normally, other than when Sven Goran Eriksson went to Notts County, took Sol Campbell with him, and then they both left after a game. You don't normally see this sort of thing. So it will be interesting to see how it transpires. I mean, it's a massive shout for Bradford. If they did want to get rid of Mark Hughes and they want to bring in, I don't know, someone someone else from League Two, it's going to be a bit of a culture shock going from Mark Hughes to a name that probably most of the fans have never heard of. It's just an interesting dynamic one to keep an eye on because I don't think they're going to be too far away from wanting to make a change, looking at them at 14th place in the table with a negative goal difference. Yeah, completely agree, but four points off the playoffs in League Two, which is obviously the beauty of it. Three points separates first to eighth place in that league um, from 20 points down to 17. And then you got Wrexham, Barrow, MK Dons, Morecambe, Warsaw, leapfrogged Bradford with that win. But Bradford are in 14th and they're on 13 points, only four points off it. So a couple of results there and suddenly Mark Hughes is, uh, is flying again. So... Yeah, be be interesting to see. Though. Negative goal difference probably isn't what the board had in mind there, especially with the season they had last year. But I did see Andy Cook scored, didn't he, at the weekend? So I don't know if he's carried on banging in the goals this season or whether... Yeah, he's got a hat-trick last week as well. Andy Cook at Bradford, by the way, Teagal, who in March... in the, So in the National League, there's no um, transfer window. Well, there is, but it doesn't shut until March. It was open all year until March. And Yeovil's... Um, steward slash owner at the time tweeted out saying that we're going to we were going to be signing someone and Murph thought Bradford's top goal scorer and League Two's top goal scorer uh, Andy Cook 
was an attainable target for us and was expecting him to be unveiled <laughs> on the Hewish Park steps. You were. And when it turned out to be Sheffield United under 18 defender uh, Miguel <laughs> Freckleton, <laughs> there were some interesting reactions. No, can I just say that we were talking about this steward who was coming in, who had money to blow, and he was like, I'm going to make some sign-ins that will blow everything out the water. And he tweeted an emoji which was of a chef you know the chef emoji where it's got the white hat and holding a wooden spoon up he put that up and i thought fuck me it's andy cook but yeah as laurie laurie said we went on to sign a 18 year old sheffield united center back and the striker was hey, a young man called rio griffiths who couldn't hit a barn door so uh yeah <laughs> i went horribly wrong but yeah not my finest prediction but by no means my worst either just a quick look at the midweek action, boys, uh, for League Two as well. First place, Notts County hosts third place, Swindon, in another big game. Uh, Crawley go to 21st place, Doncaster, uh, which will have some uh, more uh Seventh place, Crew host uh, fourth place, Gillingham. So, again, another another big game. And then fifth place, Mansfield host ninth place, Wrexham. So, all those sides up the top are playing each other at the minute. So, be interesting to see who... Uh, gets the wins to, to get a bit of breathing space. But that also, as you say, gives those teams in the middle of the table uh, a chance to, to claw back some points and get up into the playoffs. Boys, we will finish with uh, the Pyramid Pod treble. I'd firstly like to apologise to anyone who backed the first edition. So uh, we touched on Preston earlier. Uh, they lost 4-0, I think. Loro, did you go for Bristol City? who were 2-0 up and ended up losing 3-2 home to Stoke. Is that right? Correct. And I had Exeter, who I think lost 2 0 to Northampton. Um, so not the finest start. Um, I've had tweets from a few people saying bring back spin the wheel, which is just goes <laughs> to show how bad the first treble was. But we will be going again and we are looking for redemption. Uh Lauro, I will start with you first for your selection, please. I would just say that I've seen this bet in its entirety in advance and my eyebrows are raised. So we're going to have to ask for a lot of trust from the listeners here, if they're going to get on board, but I will start with, um, I've got Plymouth at home. Haven't I can't even remember who they're playing now, but they've been very good at home all last season. I think the last home game, they put six past Norwich. I expect them to win tomorrow night and they're playing someone kind of mid table mill. That's it. So yeah, I expect the pill, uh, the pilgrims to go and smash the, uh, the Millwall tomorrow night. <laughs> Plymouth, Plymouth seven to five at home, and obviously from that cutting edge analysis, there you can see how seriously we do take this <laughs> treble. Uh, Tomo, um, I'm going to go for the Terriers. Um, Huddersfield are playing Birmingham. Um, Birmingham have not won a football match since August, and Huddersfield have not lost a football match since August. Um, Q. Birmingham beating Huddersfield. Um, Huddersfield have had a sort of a, a decent start under Darren Moore. They they nearly beat Ipswich on the weekend, but um, were pegged back to an 87th minute equaliser. Um, I feel like they've got something going down there and I think they're going to beat Birmingham. Um, and the odds are good. They're 12 to 5. So I quite like the odds there because it obviously bumps up our winnings a bit. So that's why I've gone for them, Lauro. And I know... You're raising your eyebrows at me. No, we, we're not passing any judgment. We went zero for three last time out. So, um, yeah, up the Terriers. Um, well, it's pointless me really even saying my side after that. But um, I've gone for Crawley. 
Uh, Crawley are away at Doncaster. Uh, they're eight to five. So a bit of rationale as to why I've picked them. Uh, and that is since they lost 6-0 versus Swindon, which I know won't feel, feel you were confident, but they have taken 13 points in five games and they scored 16 goals in that in those five games. And they also scored four in their Papa John's Trophy game as well, I think it was. So um, 20 goals in their last six in all comps. Uh, they're top of the League Two form table. I really fancy them at the keep moat. Um, and yeah, at, at those odds, I'm going to have them. And with that bet on, a £10 stake at odds of 20 to 1 returns circa £210. Um, I would just say that, obviously, uh, check your bookmakers. You might get slightly different odds to that. Um, or if you do it tomorrow, it might be slightly different. But that's what we've got currently. And we obviously, in, in jest, said that Tomo would be donating half of his if we won at the weekend. But what we're going to do is we will probably either each have a charity or, or stick with a central charity. And if the bet does go on to win half of the winnings throughout this pyramid pod, if we can find a winner at any stage, uh, we'll go to charity. So obviously we'll keep you posted on that. But that's the treble. Huddersfield away at Birmingham, Plymouth at home to Millwall and, and Crawley Town away at Doncaster. Absolute banker. Boys, that's all we've got time for tonight. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday. We're obviously review all of the European and EFL action and we'll look ahead to the weekend's Prem action from there. So pleasure as always. Cheers, chaps. Cheers, boys. Cheers. One.